Welcome to the Sam Dean Podcast, where we talk about life uncensored. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for the support. We're sponsored by Van Zant Coffee, VanZantCoffee.com. I'm excited for today's show. Really am. We have Paula Lemon on the show today, so thank you guys for listening. We have a new roast. We got a new roast named El Tigre from El Salvador. It's crazy good. It's, it's, it'll rival Hondo Sidekick, so if you get your hands on a bag of El Tigre, VanZentCoffee.com. Thank you, guys. All right. Miss Paula Lemon, welcome to, to the show. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here sitting in your office, looking very official and a lot of fun. I know you're a musician, so I've seen your guitar. That's a lot of fun. Well, thank you. Uh, this, so this used to be Ed Cox's Valley View Ranch headquarters at one time. I think it was built in the 60s. Yeah. It was a lumber yard. Then at some point it was a telemarketing place. And then Ed Cox's office, who's now, we have an apartment next door. I've got my office here. This is where we roast Van Zant Coffee. And we have CrossFit Van Zant South, which you come to every morning or three times a week. But it's it's changed a little bit, but it's still very much old school. I feel like it's in a 70s office still with the decor. And, and I don't have, you know, all my stuff's everywhere. This is, if you look on the ground, all of our taxes and files <laughs> and stuff from the years. And yes. in those, those are the the properties that we have in the in the filing cabinets there with the post-it notes that we keep track of all that the rents and stuff. Well, uh, Ed Cox is, I guess he was his uh, manager for the land here, uh, mm-hmm. Emmett. Let's see what's it, it was Ruby, Ruby and Emmett. And she babysat our two boys up the street in the little brick house here. And so I came up and down just here. Uh, Water's Edge wasn't here because it was their private mm-hmm. ranch. And so this feels a very familiar place when we moved to Athens. And Aaron was 11 days old. And a few months later, I, we joined the church and met Ruby and Emmett Keith. That was his name. So this is a very familiar corner for me to still come on. Really? For 45 years, yes. I never noticed this place, and uh, when I was looking to build another CrossFit gym, I was looking at Kaufman, and I was looking at a property downtown, and it just wasn't right, and I looked at this place for sale. It was one of those industrial warehouses over by Come and Take It by the mm-hmm. railroad tracks, right. and it was inside the city limits, and it would have taken a lot of money to bring it up to code, and this place happened to be for sale. And um, I found it on the MLS, and I looked at it, and, you know, we bought it. The rest is history, but I'm glad I did buy it, um, and it's been pretty good to us, but it's been a lot of work. It's an old building, and it, I've done a lot of stuff to kind of uh, bring it to life, and it's got a lot of rooms. There's a lot of office space. And you have brought it a lot to life, and you've got some more things, I'm sure, up in your head. Yes. It's a good place. I'm going to open that door. It's getting hot in here. It's hot oh, in here. It's hot in here. <laughs> Are you hot in here no, right now? No, I'm okay. I mean, I, I, guess no. I'm ner- I guess I'm nervous. Oh, dear. Well. I don't know why. Let me reassure you. There's. Okay. 
Well, I wanted you to come on the podcast because I had some questions for you. Let me tell you what I think of you for a minute. Well, thank you. So, you're an older lady. I met you when you started to do CrossFit. I didn't know you prior to that. How old are you, Ms. Paul? I will be 71 next week. November 2nd is my birthday. Well, happy birthday. Thank That's you. That's coming up. I 71 years 71. old. 71. But, you, but you, you work out early morning, at 5.15 in the yeah. morning. And uh, you try really hard. And you're, you're a hard worker. But that's not what the, ma- the main thing that I've, um, I've come to know about you. What Ashley and I talk about you all the time is the, the, the gifts that you give, but the, the gifts that you give us in, in, in as far as you write like notes to us and they're the thoughtfulness. Thank you. You're the most thoughtful person that I've ever met, ever. Well, thank you. My goodness. And the the cards um you can tell that you've spent time you know thinking about what you're writing and they're handwritten and um they really touch you when you read them who taught you how did you learn that did you always have that or who taught who was thoughtful in your life that that that's a good question that that you got that from, that, and I'm interested in that question. Thinking about words, words were always important to me, and when I went to first grade, I just woke up and thought, what is this place? I mean, it had books, and it had activities, and um, I loved every teacher I ever met, just the first chance, and my mother loved learning she had beautiful handwriting and she was very thoughtful and she taught Sunday school and uh, she had grown up as an orphan she was adopted but she had kind of a she would just sort of stand in a room and kind of look trying to figure out where she was supposed to be some of that I think she had trouble bonding sometimes but she was beautiful and gave a lot of thought to the holidays for us. She didn't really have those. She was five in the Depression, mm-hmm. and she could remember. Uh, it was interesting. She would tell me a whole lot about her past, and then I would go back and ask her to tell me that story again. And so I have, I was sort of the archivist in our family. I, I would keep up with those stories, and I knew when she was about seven or eight, they were moving from rent house to rent house because her dad had had an injury and she had to help pluck chickens or something that Christmas. And she asked her mother, will uh, Santa Claus come this year? Will I get a present? And she said, he will give you everything that he has. And in the darkness of the next morning, she woke up and she felt her way to the end of the bed to feel for her stocking, and it was empty. But her adopted mother had um, a beautiful bedspread. It was the last kind of fine thing that she had from their old life. And uh, she had made my mother opal a pink dress, 
And she said it was years later that she realized that Santa Claus really gave her everything that she had. Oh, wow. And so I had a mother who was that sort of connected. Uh, I, I just remembered that story so well, and it was so true for her to be like that. But she did that for all holidays. Her Christmas holiday was always very pretty. It was... It wasn't expensive, but she would make candles, and she made our stockings, and she um, she made it uh, guessing what a Christmas should look like. We were in a little country Methodist church, and uh, she made everything beautiful. And for my dad, she would tease him when he would plant fruit trees. He would come home every day walk out in the backyard and see if he had any apples yet. And so for one year on a April Fool's Day, she tied fruit onto the tree. So when he came <laughs> home that night, he would have a, you know, an orchard on this <laughs> little new tree. So, I, you know, I, I know my mother was really clever and artistic, and she was probably a natural teacher. And I didn't know until I looked at their pictures in my 30s and 40s that my mother and father were just Hollywood beautiful people. Mm -hmm. And Daddy started a, um, it was a feed sack uh, recycling kind of company. It was Ace Burlap Bag. And, uh, and, he and he grew up in Arkansas and he was the only one of the eight children who'd moved Mm -hmm. And I think he just really, he went to a business school, and he, I think he had big ideas. You know, I think in the end of his life, he had, of course, it, and he was older. He was 25 when he was sent to Okinawa for World War II. He had a bunch of 17- and 18-year-old kid, young men with him, and he was 25. So he got a little bit of training. He was the master sergeant. And uh, the, the war really, I think for a long time, we couldn't see the damage, but he never really got over it. His whole, I think his whole unit was bombed on in the middle of the night, and he thought they all knew to run to the trenches. Mm -hmm. And he did, because he, he was a scrappy kid from Arkansas. But then when the sun rose, they were carrying all of his young friends dead out of the field, and he never got over that. Yeah, you can't get over that. No, <laughs> no. Is, and he didn't talk about it for a long time. It just uh, always be, you know, was a hard thing. But he was, uh, he was beautiful, too. He was. Did, uh, do you remember your mom reading to you uh, when you were a kid? Yes, yes, and I asked her, I loved words, and I would come home. I remember the day I came after church in the kitchen, and I said, what does illumine me? Uh, we had sung a song I'd never heard before, open my eyes and help me see. Da, da, da. I, I, I can't remember all the words right now. Uh, illumine me, and I could say the sounds but I couldn't picture the word and I remember standing in the kitchen and say said what does illumine me and so she she would do a whole kind of little bible study just right there she'd say illumine me says that that you have some light now in your mind uh, 
that's what that song is about. And, and she taught me, and I would ask questions. Now, she was not happy a lot of times I asked questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just wore her out. <laughs> now, I asked her, I remember when I asked her, well, what was before in the beginning? You know, in Genesis, it says, in the beginning. And she said, Paula, I just can't, t- I can't answer that. <laughs> Please quit asking questions. But... Uh, yes, she did too. And then Daddy, if I asked at the dinner table, um, he wouldn't answer right away. But he would start thinking about it in about 15 minutes when we were talking about chickens or something. He would say, well, now this is what I think that was what about. I mean, he would start thinking about it, and then he yeah. would tell me what he thought. So... Uh, so I, I feel like I had their attention. Where did you, where did y'all live? Where did in you Fort grow? Fort Worth. Fort Worth. That was a great place to grow up. Fort Worth. Yeah. And that, what years were those? What, what I was born in 50, and so uh, 60s, let's see, when did the Vietnam start? Maybe 63, so before my teen years. But I remember vividly, you know, so many of us went to church. Mm-hmm. Like 85% of the school went to some kind of church. And, of course, the Baptist churches were pretty big, but we went to our Methodist church. But I remember when uh, marijuana became kind of a distant thing, but it was in our school when you could hear about it. Mm-hmm. And my dad had a drinking problem, and he didn't have a control of himself. And I was very wary of going to party and not have an exit strategy I knew I didn't know what to do and I remember vividly that you know kids that never would have tried marijuana or anything like that that was sort of introduced in the 65 66 I graduated in 68 Mm -hmm. so um, I, I remember that and I was more of a flower child than a hippie you know I just kind of gave people flowers (laughs) <laughs> awesome yeah what do you mean like what did you teach your kids about going to parties and have an exit strategy what do you mean by that well I told them that if you're ever someplace that you know you should not be there then not be there you know mm-hmm. you can call me or any. if you're afraid to call me call somebody else but you, you know I will fuss at you if you're not supposed to be there um, and he Aaron was one of the younger uh, in his class because we didn't hold him back and I worried more about him riding in cars with kids that were just a year older than him and, and driving with him and I didn't want that and I don't know how obedient they uh, they were but I think they were pretty obedient but Ken would agree with this. Um, My love is unconditional, so, uh, but they said they knew they'd be killed if they started smoking (laughs) with Ken, you know. Yeah, yeah. He he didn't have the, he would tell you he he didn't have the uh, unconditional love. I would still let them have come home. I don't, we don't, we still know, don't know to this day if he really would have, you know, yeah. said, no, you can't go. 
Did that answer your question? Kind of, yes, yeah. kind of. I, I, uh, it's hard to know. Now, Ken gave them, like, just lots and lots of, they did, Aaron did thank Ken for making it real clear that drugs were very dangerous. He said there were so many kids in college that got there that were driving drunk because nobody had ever told them it was really dangerous. Yeah. And Ken did a, a lot of that, you know, trying to forewarn them. And he and he and Aaron told me he said I'm really glad Dad told, was so serious about. You know, this is not something to just play with. Right. Not to drive with people in your car when you're not in control. I mean, he just really, and and that Aaron felt that was kind of an odd thing for. Uh, he said that someone, many of his friends had, you know, nobody had ever told them it was really, it was illegal, they would tell them, but they wouldn't tell them that it was really dangerous. Mm -hmm. So now he told me that, and I don't know if, if that was all that he knew. Yeah, I mean, I got the same type of deal, it seems. You know, I was scared to, uh, I remember I had long sideburns at one point because my grandfather it was kind of the style of my grandfather's but uh those sideburns like i couldn't have facial hair but i could have a little sideburn i couldn't have long hair i had like a crew cut and then sideburns but that was kind of my rebellious that's as far as i could go you know i didn't have tattoo i still don't have tattoos oh, really? i would i wouldn't get a tattoo because I, I feel like my mom and dad would be upset with me yeah. and or you know, I was when Aaron got <laughs> Aaron got now it's just a little eagle. Mm -hmm. And but oh I called our pastor and I, <laughs> I said, He's gonna get a tattoo and he said, Well I said, but and his body's the Holy Spirit's house and he said, Well his house is gonna have a an eagle decoration. <laughs> decoration on it. <laughs> oh, I didn't think it was funny, but and and then Adam told me, he said, Mom I, we went to see him at UT his freshman year early on, and I knew, I thought Adam would have already had a, a piercing somewhere, <laughs> and, and then so Aaron, I mean, Adam just said, Mom, I get a, the idea that Daddy would kill me right now if I got my ear pierced, and I said, well, it's funny you should bring that up, because Ken, when we got to UT, the, in Austin, and we were in the hotel room, Ken just had a meltdown in front, I mean, with me, I was just praying, Lord, what is he telling me? Because he just said, if he pierces his nose, I will rip him out of this, this university. He can't hear, he can't come here, I'll, I'll take his car away from him. And I'm just standing there looking at thinking, okay, what are you telling me? And then he finally said, he has the long hair. And he's coming to the the liberal university, and then he started crying. And he said, "I just need for him to look a little bit like me." And I thought, I said, "Ken, they love you. Mm -hmm. Tell them not to do it, and they will not." So, um, three years later, uh, Adam came home, and he had some kind of piercing, <laughs> and we went to the Mexican food restaurant, and. Uh, and when Ken went to pay, he said, Mom, I think Daddy's kind of losing it.
because he didn't say anything about my piercing. And I said, trust me. <laughs> he saw it. He saw it. But so anyway, I, I just really tried to have a relationship with my boys. It, it was It's always hard because look at our world now. I just think it's even harder to be in. Yeah. I really do. Is that why parents don't want the kids to get a tattoo or piercing is because it really subconsciously they want them to look like them. Wasn't that a, that's the truth. I think, I think it, I think parents want, especially for the children that are opposite of you. Mm -hmm. I think we do want our children to look like us. Um, but now I was always fascinated. See, boys are so easy for moms, I think, because they can do all anything they want to because I don't I was never a boy. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of fascinated with when they would want to do something. It was like, wow, that's really cool. I think I would not have been a good mother for daughters. I think I would have really wanted her to look like me. Mm -hmm. And I just knew, you know, Ken would probably have her on a softball team and instead of a ballet class. Yeah. That would have been hard. So, and so maybe gender's part of it. Um, but... I, I mean, they could have done anything they wanted to. I thought they were perfect when we brought them home from the hospital. I thought, I just felt like Princess Diana with her heir and a spare, you know. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I had two princes. I really felt like that. They just, I thought they were just brilliant and funny and clever yeah. and... And I think Ken was sort of hoping they'd look like him. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, you know, I, and George and I haven't talked, we haven't talked about tattoos or, uh, <laughs> you know, he's seven. Oh. But he got, you know, he got a new football yesterday and he's, he's playing little dribblers again. Mm. He has the same coaches last year. Halloween is, is this Sunday. And uh, he's going as Tom Brady, the... Uh, greatest football player of all time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't we haven't discussed the uh, looks yet. I, I barely dress him. Yeah, Ashley has the clothes laid out, but I just kind of let him wear, you know, the same shorts Jeans and, and t-shirt he, he wants to. All right. Um, let's see. So, do you have siblings? Yes, I've got spectacular siblings. I've got one brother and two sisters, and we're kind of spread out in our ages. Judy was born before the war, and the three of our, the others were born after the war. And Talking about World War II? World War II. The, okay. Judy is mm -hmm. 80, and then she was 9 when I was born, and then she was 11 when my brother was born, and then the baby, she was 15 when Deanna was born. And so Deanna was born in 56, and, uh, and we just think we're so fabulously funny when we all get together. We, uh, we think we're very clever, <laughs> and very, all of us are very artistic. Do they live uh, in Fort Worth still? or? Uh, we're still in Texas. Everybody's still in yeah, Texas. Yeah, we are. Yeah, and my brother got the land, which is out in Poolville. Uh -huh. And he uh, 
married and has, I see four daughters, and one of them has a, a, a house on the land, and so he lives there with his wife, and uh, Taylor is there with her husband and three babies, and, and then another, the other, his other daughter has five uh, children, so he's got eight grandchildren, and then the other two daughters did not marry. And Judy lives, my sister lives in Buffalo, where our mm -hmm. little plot of land is. And my uh, youngest sister lives in Fort Worth, and she teaches piano. And she's a really gifted musician. What was your nickname for Judy when you were growing up, or did you just call her Judy? I just called her Judy, but I called Deanna Nana. She had to finally tell me, please quit. <laughs> What'd they call you? Did you have one? Daddy called me Pee-wee, I think, for a little while. Uh, but no, we didn't. And Roger was just Roger. We didn't have wonderful nicknames. You went to high school in, in, in Fort, Fort Worth. Worth. In Eastern Hills. And where did you meet uh, Ken? At Baylor. You were at Baylor? Mm -hmm. And he was too. Undergraduate? Undergraduate. So Ashley went to Baylor. She graduated in 2005. Yeah, see, but she's much younger than I. I was there in 68, and there were like 6,000 students total. Mm -hmm. No Greek um, clubs were there. They were all service and social clubs. And uh, a lot of people, we just wore jeans or homemade clothes. There were missionary kids there. It was, mm -hmm. it was not the wealthy incredible campus that it is now but it was a wonderful school. why did why did you want to go to Baylor I needed to go to one of the three schools in Texas that because I wanted to major in Latin because I loved my Latin teacher and they were one of the schools that had Latin and it was the only one that was kind of little I knew I would drown at University of Texas or University of North Texas because I just needed a small place but they, at TCU they didn't have Latin no there were just three places in Texas okay. so uh, I was and I was the first person I guess in our family to get to go to college and daddy was not really keen on that he wanted me to be a he said it'd be a teacher or a secretary would be okay. He taught our older, my older sister to be like an executive assistant. He taught her how to do books and mm -hmm. she helped him and then she did that her whole life. She would um, be somebody that would come, come in really as, oh, what is it called whenever, you know, you're, you're a, a temporary person but she would always get hired when people could see how organized she was mm -hmm. and so she did executing kind of in an office what drew you to latin the language oh, oh the words you could learn one word in latin and it would give you 10 or 20 english words it was just fascinating but the teacher was she was the most intentional person teaching I had ever met. I mean, everything in her life, it's as she was like you and, you know, being with CrossFit, it, you know, everything mattered. You know, she didn't let anything slip. She dressed kind of professionally. She was young and uh, 
um, and she cared about us. And I just, I had, I mean, the minute she walked into the classroom the first day, I always loved my teachers, but this was somebody I had never seen that everything that she gave to us mattered. It, nothing was busy work. It was mm -hmm. all, she was just a fabulous teacher. And I wanted to be just like her. What was her name? Jan Cox. And then she re uh, divorced and remarried somebody else. But her her handouts were beautiful. And, and uh, she was beautiful. And she knew where we, there. and then, then back in the day, there were about 30 kids in each class. And she had five classes. So she, you know, she was as big as a history class or a science class. And... Uh, she made it fun, but she was very serious about us doing well. And I, it, it changed my life and because I knew that I wanted to be a teacher, that kind of teacher. So Where did she learn the Latin? At Baylor. Um, and her teachers, it's, real, it's interesting you're asking me that. Um, she was taught by people in their 60s, and I was taught by people in their 70s. We were learning in, in the age group of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. So I have an Edwardian Latin kind of degree. Like they're, they're teaching it differently now. It's, it's still wonderful. But uh, we had the older teachers who made you memorize English and Latin and it was all, it would be old-fashioned. It would be from 1880s. People that learned it young in 1880s were teaching me in 1950 and 1960. And so those were her teachers, too. I, I had Dr. Butler when I went to Baylor, and he knew her. But she was in her 20s. Mm -hmm. And so, can does you that give, give me a, can you give me a history of Latin and just what you know for someone that doesn't know much about latin the language anything really other than what i've heard from you <laughs> well things I've it's read. so important well uh, why is it important to you and 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 just give us a for, for the listeners out there well dear let's see and for me this is what how, how i'll say it latin itself and Greek and the languages that were being spoken in 50 BC and into 250 AD Latin and Greek and um, it slipped my mind what I wanted to say that the language that Jesus spoke all of those languages were part of the time the, it was part of the time that when you read in Luke and it says, you know, in, and in those days, you know, they, they were going to tax the world and you had to go back to the place where you were being, you, you were born or your family was. Latin was part of the, the way to spread the Christian story. Mm-hmm. Everything fell into place. The Mediterranean had been organized by the Romans. They loved laws. They loved, um, uh, they, they didn't like to scatter things around. You know, they, they had, 
they really brought the law, the, the, the idea of a law that, that if you're a Roman citizen, you have privileges. Well, they had been doing that for, you know, say 200 years, and the language kind of grew up exactly at the same time. It's called golden Latinity because it, it got really efficient. It was the language for commerce and money. And that was part of the fullness of time. That was the word I was trying to think. You know, in the Bible it says, Jesus was born in the fullness of time. And I'm here to tell you, because I'm a Latin teacher probably, Latin was a big part of that because it was the language in the Mediterranean all the way from Iraq to Spain and up to the British Isles. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, for, for me it's that simple and that's probably not fair, but it was part of the fullness of time. Uh, people would move to other areas and in Gaul that became French and in uh, Germany and Helvetia, you know, that became German. And so six of those languages really came out of Latin. But in 400, in 390, Jerome translated the old Bible in the new language. It's in the Vulgate, and he translated into Cicero's Latin, which was kind of the perfect Latin. And he was a brilliant lawyer. And when you translate the New Testament, it's almost the language of the courtroom. They had these pronouns like hick and hike and hoke means this that's close to me. And ille, ille, elude is something that's farther away. And so you'd hear them say, this man, you know, hick homines. Uh, you can see them kind of pull their toga here and say, this man and that law. And when you read it, you really see the language of the courtroom. It just is make, is mm -hmm. that making sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and and it was more, you know, it wasn't as fancy. It did get it did get so fancy nobody could read it, but but they were practical. And um, and and I, so I think that's important. You know, if you want to know about the Bible. You need, I think you need to study Greek and Latin, but it's hard, it, 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 you know, for some people to do that. They just, and we've got great English translations now. Well, that's fascinating. I learned some stuff today. Yeah, it is. <laughs> After Baylor, you and Ken got together. Yeah. Or you got together at Baylor. Yes, we did. To, what happened? What happened after that? We got married, and he was accepted into medical school. And UT in Houston had just opened. And and I, <laughs> well, I still wonder why was it so cheap? Because I put him through medical school. I taught at Spring Branch High School, which was um, your salary was lower than a Houston kind of school. But it was kind of like Highland Park or something that a lot of the people were, the, the mothers were uh, lawyers and the husbands and fathers were doctors. It was a real professional group. And I got um, to, to teach history and Latin there. And he went to this medical school. 
and I got to drive his car, which was a 66, I want to say it was maybe a Cutlass, and all the kids at this school had much nicer cars than I did, mm. but I had uh, Hank Duke's son, no, 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 that's not right, it's Red Duke was the doctor, he had five kids, and I had Hank, um, Mickey Floyd was a car racer person, oh, I had kind of some people with celebrity. And these were very, pe very serious people about education. And the administration really wanted teachers to have freedom and to be good at what they were doing. And it was a, it was a fantastic place to teach for three years. They had six languages, four years, and I had the Latin department. And then I did history. And I was very well supervised and kind of helped to just kind of come in. And I mean, I just, they, they told me the second year I was there, they said, you came in kind of like, I am the teacher. <laughs> and I felt like that. Um, anyway, but I only made $500 a month. And that was, our apartment was $180. And, and we paid his tuition and books, and it was only like $250. I mean, we had to, you know, save all of that. But we felt like it was possible. We weren't afraid. You know, we felt like we were ready, and we were just 21. Now, Ken was 22, and he was a man of the world. I, I was very shocked when he had, you know, he had said, now, well, if we only have $15 for our food, so if the peanut butter goes over $15, you have to put it back on the shelf. And I did a lot of crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but it was, a, it was so great. And he finished medical school. And, uh, and see, DeBakey and Cooley were, were on all the horizons of heart surgery. I mean, it was such an exciting time. In yeah. Houston. In Houston, yeah, in well, worldwide. 1970s. 1972, yeah, and uh, because they were, DeBakey and Cooley weren't. One of them was in Houston, and one of them was in South Africa trying to beat. They were trying to be number one, with open heart surgery. It hadn't, it hadn't been polished yet, and uh, you know, and and that kind of opportunity is not like that anymore. Because we didn't have a lot of money. Open heart surgery in, a, in the, the, the fact that, in a sense that, um, to help people when they have a heart attack. To, yes, that to, they could do more than they had before. Yeah. They just died. Yes. And suddenly. Suddenly they started opening the hearts up. And, and, and doing, the, doing it while the heart, heart was beating. And yeah. Wow. Yeah, big stuff. That's a big step. Yeah. It was amazing. I think that was, well, now it's 50, 50 years ago now that mm -hmm. that started doing. I wonder what they're going to do 50 years from now. Oh, uh, I'm glad I'm not going to know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. So 19, so, okay. And then after, after you, gra after he graduated medical school. 75, then we came to Fort Worth uh -huh. for the family practice program he loved he pretty he pretty quickly knew he didn't want to do some narrow uh, specialty 
he loved all of it, and he loved the family notion of it, and it's still a really good program when he first came here, um, his partners, and he said they felt like within two or three weeks they were saying, you know, we are so prepared to come out of that program because they were just able to just go step right into ER work or whatever they needed to do. They were, they were very pleased that they had gone where they went because it's at John Peter Smith and it, that's like Parkland. And I mean, they had, mm -hmm. you know, gun shots and people that were sleeping in the dumps and, the, and they would dump the dumpster out and those people would get hurt so they'd fix them. And he, they just got fascinating, fascinating stories. What did you work? Did, what did you do in Fort Worth at that point? I uh, taught Latin at Nolan High School, which is a, a Catholic school, and I had never done that. And it, it was neat because they used the Latin for worshiping. At least mm -hmm. it was. They were losing it then. They weren't doing Latin anymore, but some people still wanted it. So I got to do that, and then I got pregnant with Aaron and had him, and we moved here when he was 11 days old. Did you take communion at the Catholic um, school? No, they taught me to take a, a blessing, and it, was, and it always throws them now, because I felt really proud. I knew what to do, and I did this, and he said, do you want a blessing? And I said, yes, sir. And I, and I almost felt like one of the dwarves seven dwarves you know wanted to get mm -hmm. back in line and do it again <laughs> I, thought that was I didn't know what to do at West Point in basic training they let us on Sundays let us go to religious services and they had they always had food afterwards <laughs> so we were yes. starving and yeah. so I went to the Catholic service as well and I said, whatever food I could get I was I was for that day I was you know I was considering maybe possibly converting at the hey, time I and <clears throat> and they had some cake and I did all that and I want to say I went I tried to go in the Jewish uh, one as well um, or whatever they had and <laughs> that was funny but anyway they had some food and they were we were just hungry you know we were hungry oh yeah of course because <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't go you were just you sitting out on the field oh, I think no. and you sitting there. um Okay, and then, so then you moved to Athens when, you're, uh, when you had Aaron. Yes, when I had Aaron. And Is it was, Ken from Athens? No, he's from Baytown, but he wanted a small town with like one high school mm -hmm. football kind of thing. And he's really good being real clear about what he wants. And I knew when we moved here, we, we put a 90 degree, a, a 90 degree circle around uh, Dallas and Houston because I knew I wanted to be close to a university but I really didn't think that out really well because I did get to teach at SMU for a while but the, the commute was pretty hard mm -hmm. but uh, but yes this is exactly what he wanted it was harder for me because I had always either been in school learning or teaching and then I was home with little ones and then uh, 
doing anything Ken did I they found Ken and I found that I can't work for him very well I think I'm really good but (laughs) did you try to work in the doctor's office I did and I just it what happened well I just had my own ideas and I just didn't understand why that was such a problem he said no I want it to to be done this way And, and and I wasn't clever enough to just say oh because I'd go oh well now let me just shine some light on me, illumine me, let me illumine you, it didn't work. That's hard to work with your spouse. Um, Ashley and I, it started out really (laughs) rocky, and we've gotten over it, we work pretty well together now, but uh, I remember when she, when I was trying to coach her through some CrossFit at the beginning, and she did not like that at all. Yeah, and that sounds like what Ken would say, and 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 I think he felt really offended, and I was like, "Why is he so offended? This is such a good idea." <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I found some other things to do, and then Adam was here twenty months after that. So, so we were a family. Why? I mean, I know you wanted a small place like Athens, but why did y'all ultimately pick Athens, Texas? Um. It was pretty. We loved the church life here. We could tell. I think it was a really good fit for where uh, we had come from. Um, People were, um, and while we were here, that not very many of the doctors in the clinics here got divorces. I mean, it was just an old-fashioned kind of family. Mm that supported each other and the the family doctors were welcome here and which is what they really wanted because so many times back then if you wanted to deliver babies you had to be an OBGYN and and see that's that sort of changed too but Ken got to do some pediatrics and some uh, delivery and then he really wanted to do some of that mm-hmm. and uh, the surgeons that were here, did you ever know Joe Ed Smith? Oh, gosh, he was so brilliant, but he was so generous. Anything they wanted to learn, he taught them. You know, it, the people were, the other professional people were very generous. Mm-hmm. And and we knew other people that had gone to other places and had to move because it wasn't really a community. And our our community medically was very um, supportive, and uh, it made it easiest for us to stay. What are your favorite things about Athens? Well, the pine trees. I love that coming from Fort Worth and Dallas, the rolling hills start here. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love that. I love the lakes. I love that it still feels southern, like our church. All the ladies in the church, most of them are, are gone now because they're old. But they were just southern bells. They made everything beautiful. Uh, if you were at home sick, somebody knew it, and they would come home and put soup on your stoop. You know, it, it was... Uh, um, it was a very human place where people cared about each other, mm-hmm. and uh, and they still do. 
Yeah, Athens is great. There's, every town is different. You know, I grew up in Canton, and mm-hmm. it's different than Athens in, a, in, in ways that I can't really describe. I don't really know, mm-hmm. but it is different. There are really no, there are hardly any pine trees in Canton. And then you get here, it's like starting to get pine it's trees. It's beautiful. And there's a movie theater here and a bowling alley. Yeah, now that's really, not, that was, you know, that's wonderful. We had a lot of musicians at our church, and so that was a lot of fun. And the, for me, um, people have just found me here. I mean, somehow they find me at my house, and, and I have just some really deep, wonderful relationships with very unique people like you that I don't think I would have gotten to have known somebody like you in a big city. I, I might have, but mm-hmm. uh, I had a, an adult harp student a few years ago, and uh, uh, it was so much fun to teach him. He had always wanted to learn, and I thought, how is it possible that, you know, in this little small town, he lived in Tyler, but he worked at our courthouse and he became a good friend and and I've met just I think my friends are just amazing people where did let's talk about the harp when did you start playing this oh that that's a good way to say uh when I got here Ken remembered I don't remember telling Ken I wanted to play the harp but one of his new patients her husband had died and he Mm -hmm. was a Methodist minister thank you he was a Methodist minister, and he got home, and he said, well, I met a lady today that said, if you'll get a harp, she'll teach you, and it took me about three years because they didn't make the smaller harps. This is a reverie, a reverie harp that they make really for people who are like in a hospital or something, so it'll vibrate against your, your chest, and you really just, you can change the tuning but it, isn't it just, <laughs> it's just kind of amazing. It is. It looks cool. Yeah, it, it does look it's cool. It's got a tree in the... In it's the a tree of life. Yeah. Tree of life. It is. It's a reverie harp, and you tune them differently. And um, I've got it, I think I've got it in the key of C, so maybe you and I could do something together. But it took me a while to find a small harp there. It's about four and a half or five feet tall. And I rented it from a woman at TCU, and then she called me, and it was the first time I had never been able to just pick something up and play it. A guitar was easy, a fiddle was easy, and I, and I had a background in piano. Uh, but I couldn't make this harp. I couldn't figure it out because in this one is, you know, it's, it's flat like this, mm-hmm. but a harp that you play into yourself you yes. know it's it's different than a guitar mm-hmm. and that just threw me so anyway she said called and she said I'm moving to Alaska so you need to buy the harp or bring it back and I can't believe Ken said yes but I said I know I can learn to play it if we buy it <laughs> <laughs> and it was $900 it was a used one and it's just I still have it and she's just beautiful it, but it took me three months because I what I did was took Silent Night like this, and then I turned this hand to kind of go Silent Night, you know, 
And when I finally learned that piece, everything fell into place. I could play it, but it just, it didn't come easy. And I think it's because I was an adult. Can you, will you play a little something right now just to, you know, so I, I can hear what, well, what you got going on here? I don't know what I would have. Let's see. If it, I wonder if we can, I wonder if the audio is picking it up. Let's see how would I do. How would I play this? See, I don't know what these are because I know this is like a G. Silent Night right now, but I'll teach myself well, and I'll show you. I feel like I'm about to get a massage or something. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, like I can take a nap. I like it. Will, it, will, very, it will put you to sleep. Yeah. Oh, you see, that's great with your fingernail. Yeah. Comforting. It just is. The sound, you know. And just feel, feeling it, the, the vibes mm -hmm. at Earth, it's wonderful. Yeah, so you can feel it in your chest. That's nice, yeah. Your bass. Glad you like it. I do like it. This is the first time I've ever seen something like this. I know he designed it. The little man that does that, and you can buy them. Stillwater, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I wonder where that is. All right. Well, let's see. What else do I have? Oh my goodness. Um. The guitar. Let's, all right. Yeah, I want to hear your guitar. You hold this. Oh, yes, and I'll see if I can play and with we'll, you. And we'll play together. Let's see. I don't know how, if, if we're picking it up on, uh, on the microphones or not. 
Ooh, that's beautiful. Now, when you play guitar, do you play chords or do you? Just chords. I haven't played in a long time. Yeah, yeah. I never could do the melody. No, I, just... I can't either. This is a uh, Gibson Hummingbird, Ooh, and you see nice. the hummingbirds here? I do see that. And it's kind of a, a famous uh, standard guitar it from Gibson. beautiful. But this was, this pit guard, I bought this in Las Vegas. I went, I was out there for CrossFit or something. I went to a guitar center and I bought it, and they shipped it back for me. But the pit guard was, I guess it got so hot in the transportation in the desert out there. Like the pit guard for years was warped and... There is a guitar, it's an old hippie shop in, um, in um, man, what's, what's the town up in East Texas where the Tiger Farm is? Not the Tiger King Tiger Farm, but the other Not one. Not the Black Bleedy Ranch? No. No. It's uh, Hawkins. Oh. It's Action Sound in Hawkins, downtown Hawkins. And you go in there and they have hundreds of used guitars that they've fixed but they can they can read they can fix wood and like oh. really expertly rehab instruments and amps and stuff and I had that done on this one. All right. So you started teaching at SMU. Oh, that was when the kids went to college. Yes, I finished my. Uh, masters in medieval studies uh, and it was like going back into the 12th century to go there it was so much fun and uh, and the boys were relieved when I started to go to school there um, because I couldn't have just constant surveillance yeah <laughs> and I would go on whenever they had courses that were three hours long just once a week and uh and it was, it was just a, a really fun time. And uh, and Ken was the one that encouraged me. He said, you talk about it all the time. He said, I think you ought to go get your master's. Mm -hmm. And so it took me about six years. And so then they were going to college, and I didn't have a job yet. So I uh, SMU needed an adjunct. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and I just met wonderful friends there, and the students were just great. And uh, But I got breast cancer after five years, and I taught one year after that, and I was just too tired. And I hated to, to let it go. But, um, but I got to teach there for six years, and it was wonderful. How did you know you had breast cancer? We caught it just really early. I just in the shower felt a little knot, mm -hmm. and Ken said, "This is something," and 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 I just knew it was going to be nothing, and it was a 
big hairy thing, but um, I and I went to UT Southwestern and did all the five-year protocol, and it's gone. That was 15 years ago. Did you mastectomy, or was no, it? No, it was just a lumpectomy. It was so, so small so they, they could the lump not out. believe that I saw found it, but we did. So what do you? What should women do, and men? Uh, well, for, it for was self-examination. Yeah, you, I just could feel. You just feel, and and, and I, but I, any, all of us are a little bit lumpy as we get older, and uh, I would use, and I always would ask Ken, "Is this something?" And mo and he usually said, "No, that's just like an old milk duck, or you know." Mm -hmm. But he knew when he felt it, it was something else, and and. Uh, what size are we talking about? Oh, it was uh, under one centimeter. Size of a pea or something. Yeah. And mm. my, they, they were really amazed. So. Women should get the mammograms every year. Mm -hmm. Once a year. Yeah. And six months before, I'd had a mammogram and nothing was there, and then something was, and so they knew we've got to do something. And, but it was so small. It was very aggressive. But it was so small, they didn't make me go through all of the chemo, and I'm so grateful. Did you go through some of it, though? Uh-huh, yeah. And the, the oral stuff for five years. And uh, and it, it just it makes you feel really crummy. So, so but I did take it. And it but I begged them. I said, could, could we just please skip this? <laughs> and they said no. So that was in the 1980s? That was 90. In the 90s. In, yeah, in early 2000, yeah. In about 2000, uh, now it was 2004. I taught through 2004, and uh, and they were going to change the program, and I didn't want them to lose it. So I, I told them, you know, I can't. Um, you need to get somebody because it was growing, mm -hmm. and and I served like the medieval department, and the history department, and the science department. There were the, the teachers really loved me, and uh, but of course there are always po politics, you know. And then mm -hmm. just can we uh, afford to keep offering Latin and Greek and all of that? And and they, I think they're still doing that. Have you ever been to medieval times? No, but I want to. <laughs> I want to take my grandkids. I want to take my grandkids. Have you been? To I've never been either, but uh, I've heard, oh, it's, I've heard it's to be fun. Fabulous. They've got horses. It was right there. It was right there, pretty close to SMU, all those I years. I should have taken them. <laughs> I should have taken my students. It was it was really uh, funny because sometimes I, I'm a real romantic in my mind. And I always managed when the weather was pretty to for us to go outside and, and have class outside. And I was so surprised it was the uh, boys, the men on the campus that would say, thank you so much. I had kind of a, a fantasy that we would come to college and sit outside, you know, and talk about important things. And he said, you do that in your class, and I really love that. So, and that surprised me. But, you know, I wanted it to look, uh, I wanted it to feel old world. So I should have taken him to the Medieval times. It's really healthy to be outside in the sun too. Yes, it is. That you know your your skin needs to be exposed to light, real light, mm -hmm. and your eyes as well. I 
Being outside is a luxury these days. I know. They make us stay inside with the canned air conditioning. How important is college for people? There's a, there's a, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, you don't need to go to college, you know, but it's, I think it's a good thing, um, personally, and it's not a waste if you, if you're, if you're trying to, you know, figure your life out and what you really want to do and be exposed to more than what's just at your high school and your, what your parents know, um. Yeah, but things things are changing. I watched, you know, Aaron and Adam, and and their colleagues. Uh, they, their parents would, you know, would spend a fortune, and then they would have trouble getting a job. I think mm-hmm. some things have really changed. I I needed because I wanted to be a teacher. Going to college was a a good thing. I think that's changing, and I sort of hate it because. I think what education in life should be is what you asked me at the very beginning. What, who taught you to be so intentional? Mm-hmm. And it was so many people that were intentional, like, you know, your life really matters. You know, what are you going to do with your life? Are you going to give? Or are you going to take? And I had these wonderful teachers and adults in my life that, um, and Ken's parents were the same way. His dad could, could not read very well. He had a, now we know he had dyslexia or something. But he was a brilliant welder and, um, and just had a, a wonderful life because he did his best and was very highly uh, appreciated as a welder. And, you know, I'm wondering how do we help the young people now realize that having a life to give is, is a great gift. How, how do we show them that that's really what's fun is to, is to write notes to people and say, I noticed you and you're making a difference and I'm so glad to know you. And that's true. Um, how do we do that? I don't know. You do that. I know you, you do, do that. that. Well, you do that, and it makes me more thought. When, when I get a gift from you and read it, or it makes me want to do it for someone else. Oh, and, I, and I stop, so and I and I sit there and think for once about somebody other than myself. <laughs> and I, you know, and that's great. Um, what are some of your? What are some? What's some advice on how to be more like that? for somebody like me or, or anyone listening, do you, when you wake up in the morning, I know, I know you come to CrossFit, but what do you do before that? Do you, do you have time where you sit there and think about what you're going to do that day or, or the notes that you're going to write? Because you obviously have to think about me and Ashley before you write that. Mm-hmm. What, at what portion of the day do you write those notes? Oh, it used to be just 24-7. I'm, I'm having a little trouble with my writing and my thinking. And, but I enjoy it so much. Uh, and I, now I have to kind of make a list. I, I thought this morning I, I mailed some thank you notes yesterday. And then I realized there were two others that I hadn't written. So, and I can tell as I'm getting older, 
it's going to be a little loosier, goosier, I mm-hmm. guess. But it, I think you, um, what changed for me at SMU, I, I did not know I had had a dream to teach on a college campus. But it felt like it was too late. Uh, but I knew when I went to grad school and people said, well, what are you going to do with it? I just thought, okay, what am I going to tell them because I have no idea. So I started telling people, it's, I don't know, but it's going to be wonderful. And, you know, that was a great way to say, this is what I'm going to do. I don't know, but it's going to be wonderful. I could not believe that SMU called me because they, I had gone to All Saints, the junior high in Tyler, and I'm so embarrassed. I, I told Jesus that day as I drove home, you can, show, you can come to me in blue flames and ask me to teach seventh graders Latin, and Jesus, I will tell you no. I mean, <laughs> it was such a bad day. <laughs> I'm not good with the 13 and 14 year olds. I'm better with a little bit older. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, SMU called me, and Ken said, "Are you sure you want to do the drive?" And I said, "Yes." It was it was my chance, and it was a really good match for me and the friends that I worked with. Uh, the, I'm the one woman that I met that became such a good friend. She had a way. She's another one of these people who wants everybody that she, whose life she touches, is positive. I mean, she, and she really did her life like that. And she turned me into a university professor without me even knowing it, you know, but she would look at my syntax and stuff and say, okay, now you've got a little space right here. She never made me feel dumb, but she was my gray wolf. Have you ever had a gray wolf in your life? Do you know what I'm talking about in a gray wolf? No, explain to that. Oh, I'm so glad we're going to talk about this story. It's so important. Um, I wish I knew what book this was in, but when I went to SMU, it said, when you're going into a new job with new people, find a gray wolf. A gray wolf is somebody that knows where every, everything's buried. They've been there a long time. They may not be the dean or the president or somebody. They may be on the kitchen staff or cleaning your building but they know where things are buried, who happened, you know, what happened to somebody else by this. They know all the politics, but they don't get pulled into it, and so they, they stay alive. And, I, and so I told God, oh, I really need a gray wolf. Well, Jan ran the language lab, and she was one of these people that's so unfortunately smart that she threatens people that aren't quite as smart, that have more power. And she was just always in trouble. <laughs> but she was brilliant. Uh, if a ja- I told her, our new Japanese professor looks terrified. And she's down there trying to copy something, and I didn't know how to help her. I was trying to tell her to come meet you. So Jan did this. A gray wolf will do things like this. She said, okay, watch me. And I watched and I listened. And she said, 
um, you go to her and you tell her um, someone is waiting to help you. And I said, okay, I tell her someone is waiting to help you. And she said, yes, but what else do I did, did I, I do? And I said, she, so she did it again, but she did it bigger. She said, someone is waiting to help you. And I said, Am I she said, you've got to do your hands because in that culture, when we're doing this with our hands, an Asian person, it needs, she won't hear it unless you do this. I did exactly that, and I mean, this girl was just immediately, where is she, where is she? Um, she knew that kind of thing to tell me. The other thing that happened almost as soon, the Italian professor, who was probably in his 50s, Vincenzo, and, and I was an adjunct, so they had put me in a small office with two other people. I mean, it was a lot smaller than this, and the three of us were in there, and I was just fine. Well, he came, and I noticed he was lurking in the hallway, and uh, he said, I can help you get your own office, you know, and, and I was really kind of put off by that, and I thought, oh, shoot, I don't know. I mean, I'm from a small town. I don't know if he's, you know, trying to be stupid. Uh, so, and I felt terrible to ask Jen. I said, I don't have anybody to ask. But I said, is Vincenzo kind of a cheesy guy that flirts with people? And mm -hmm. I mean, that's exactly what it was. And I said, what do I do? She said, you go to the, dark, the chairman of the apartment now, department now and tell him exactly that, and I said, can I tell, just say I'm from a small town, I'm here to teach, I don't play around, it. can I say that? She said, say that. Well, I go down there and Vincenzo is, had told me, he said, oh, I'm going to get your office, you know, and, and he comes in just as I go in, <laughs> the, the lead guy, and so I had to pull my chair up really close to Bill Beauchamp and said, you know, Vincenzo seems to think he wants to help me give, get my own office, and I don't care about that, and, and he, it bothers me. I don't want him to bother me, and I'm, uh, I'm from a small town. And I mean, it ended now. Two years later, when he had to sit in my classroom and adjudicate my teaching, I got a C or something, but, uh, but he left me alone. So a gray, gray wolf will do that. The other thing she did, there was a, a woman on the, in the medieval thing, uh, department, that I, I knew I was going to have to deal with her a lot, and she was really used to getting her way. I mean, I could just tell that in meeting her. And so after about two weeks, she, was, she asked me to come eat lunch. And Jan started this conversation, and I, I'm just so grateful. She said, I want to tell you something that I would want to know if I were going to be with Bonnie for the first time. And Jan never said anything negative about other people, but she would be very careful to make sure it wasn't, to, it, I could tell it wasn't gossip, but it was important. She said she grew up not being able to hear very well, and she has really good um, ear aids now. But 
she didn't have it for years, and then she, this is what she wanted me to hear, and she had to say it three times before I listened. She said she is not used to being able to hear. So meaning, you know, in her personality, she just kind of, she's not used to hearing because she couldn't hear mm -hmm. for years. And so I was in, riding in the car with Bonnie. She said, I'm just telling you this so that, because I would want to know that if I were going to go eat lunch. She said, you need to face her when you talk to her. So we're driving along with Bonnie, and sure enough, I said something, and I, could, I would have not known she didn't hear me, except that Jan had kind of tipped mm -hmm. that to me. And so then I turned to her and said it again. That is a gray wolf, and you're old enough now even to be a gray wolf for somebody else. And, but see, isn't that interesting? Jan made that the main thing in her life. If I can make your way in the world easier, because I know this, I'm going to tell you. And she was just a fabulous help to me and other people because she could just see it. And her daughter's the same way. Her daughter d does a kind of an audit kind of thing in these big companies that like make cars and thus mm -hmm. and she's the adjudicator and she is just doing so well because she's kind of like her mother it's like you know what's really important about this and and what's really true or who's or who's really slipping around so see I've had those people in my life always and it's so much fun uh, and you do that with people all the time now. You make us look better than we are. And I, don't you think that's a lot of fun, though? Well, I like it. I, I love, I love what I do for a living. And would you say though, um, what's the? Have you found out what life's meaning is yet? This is the, I'm giving you the easy questions. Because, well, yeah. Be, because yeah, what? we haven't talked about uh, you have Parkinson's disease. And you, every day is kind of harder for you than it is for most people physically. Uh, you've just lost your son. Yeah, that's kind of a bummer. You're um, moving is hard for you. Playing the harp, doing the things that you always do is t difficult for you. Uh, but it sounds, what a, I'm f almost 40 years old and I'm trying to figure out what, it, what it's all about. Why, <laughs> you know, wh what, what should I be doing more of? What should I be doing less of? And I know I should be do more thoughtful and touching people and helping people more than I'm doing right now. What do you think? Yeah. That's not an easy question. I don't know. But what, what, have, what have you figured out yeah. now that you're 70? What have you figured out uh, that somebody that you could help? That's inspired me, somebody. Well, it's really, the reason I'm here is this book, because it changed Aaron's life. The Obstacles. The Obstacles of the Way. 
and um, and I and it just ignited him. He it, and it's it's really his best book. He's got a new book out on courage now. It's no, it's not nearly as good as this is. Um, when I got Parkinson's, and I was watching Aaron, and he brought me here, and he said, "Mom, I think this would help you, and I will do it for a month with you," which is what helped me the most. You know, doing that saying, I'll, go, I'll take you, I'll go with you, that's one of the keys. But I realized after he had moved, then he, he moved to McKinney, and I was here by myself, and I mean, he had just convinced me, and within six weeks, I realized my Parkinson's, the way out of Parkinson's is the 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 obstacle, not thinking about the Parkinson's, but being a th thinking about moving. I could move because he showed me some place where I could move and you could teach me more. And it, it just became kind of this fabulous sort of joy of uh, the obstacle is a way. And this, this sentence, this is, I think, from Marcus Aurelius. Because what this is about is power, to pick up your power again, because sometimes things happen and you think, wow, I just got run over. He says, does what happened, whatever it is, whatever's just happened to you, has it kept you from acting with justice, generosity, um, self-control, sanity, Prudence, honesty, humility, and straightforwardness. I love that challenge. Let me see. Can Does I what happened keep you from acting? It's this right here. Does what happened keep you from acting with justice, generosity, self-control, sanity, prudence, honesty, humility, straightforwardness? Yeah. We can choose that. We can choose that even if my son has died. I can choose that because it's the truth. And if you think about that, you have a beautiful life because you, you're, you can pick somebody else up. And I, you know, you might not be able to do it every day, but okay, so I got Parkinson's. But it's become such a big gift. Parkinson's has me here, and you're giving me so much of your time like we're friends, and I love that. Well, we are friends. We are friends. Yeah. And, of course, I, I have, you know, times when I, I get slippery or I get blue. But this is... This is an option, and I've, I've got a copy of this that's brand new that nobody has. If you'd like to look at it, I would, it I would you. like to read it. It changed, so, it, it added something to Aaron. It, it showed him how to do something he had read about. And it just, uh, he, you know, he gave, he had tons of copies of this and gave it away. And it's really well done. That he, he graduated a and M in class of two thousand. Or sorry, two thousand from high school probably. No, ninety six, and then two thousand from A and M. A and M. That's and right. And he's an Eagle Scout. 
Yes, yes, yes. I'm an Eagle Scout as well. Yes, you, I can tell. Eagle Scout. What, uh, did he like Boy Scouts? Yes, and, and I d he didn't have a choice because Ken just insisted, and then Adam didn't like the, the, the uh, merit badges, but he did Explorers, mm -hmm. they, and so Ken hiked with him. And both boys, when they wrote their, their little essay for their colleges, the, the life lesson that they wrote about was going to Philmont and mm -hmm. hiking with their dad. It was very significant. To, to that's a, that's the pinnacle of Boy Scouts, the Philmont thing. Oh, they I never, I never, I never. And you never got to do it. Never got to go. I hope you get to do it with your son. It, they just loved it, and it was hard. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Ken said halfway up. Aaron said he's told Aaron. He said, "I'm sorry, we haven't gotten to the the camp in time for you to do some of the." Uh, things that they're doing there and he said Aaron said back oh daddy it's okay he said I'm just gl I'm glad I'm alive it, it was a big wow. rainstorm I mean yeah. it one of their <laughs> leaders fell and yeah. and, it, and so uh, he said daddy it's okay you know <laughs> I'm just glad I'm alive but uh, <laughs> our poor children we were we were probably just too tough <sighs> But this book just really added so much to, to Aaron, and it's given me choices. The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Yes. The Ancient Art of Turning Adversity to Advantage. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you, it really works. Tell me about Parkinson's. I'd say it's, you know it's hard. It's your movement is is hard, but I'm just so glad Aaron did it with me to show me because if he had sent me, I wouldn't have gotten the message because I was afraid. You know, I'd never been in a gym. I'd never been on a mm -hmm. rower, and he he broke all of that. I mean, he just it was just kind of like he didn't make any of it very scary. And that was huge. When did you ha when did you find out about Parkinson's disease? When did you when did you know you had it? Mm, probably um, a year or maybe six months. I I had ha I had been having a tremor, but they didn't think it was Parkinson's. And then in 2014, um, well, I went to another neurologist, and he said, No, no, no. He said you've already got paralysis here, and la la la. And, uh, in your brain? Or? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's somehow, it's neurological, it's different with everybody, and they're really looking for ways to, <coughs> oh, excuse me, uh, <coughs> they, um, you can take a drink of water if you want to. Oh, I've got a little water down here. Um, they, uh, they can, in the 60s, they have a pill that I'm still taking that slows it down, but it, it can't stop it. Mm. Oh. Uh, but you can't stop it. And, um, and I'm not worrying about right 
that right now, but I'm thinking about it than I, more than I have been because one of my friends got COVID who was like five years ahead of me, Melvin Bateman, and, uh, and he died on the same day Aaron did. And, uh, and so I'm kind of thinking about that, that, um, you know, I've told God I'm going to try to be really as chipper and chirpy <laughs> as I can. But if I let myself think very much about it, I kind of get scared. I'm get it's affecting me. Uh, my, um, I used to be a very calm, always just still mm -hmm. as still water. And uh, the Parkinson's has uh, a lot of. Uh, uh, I, I stay real jittery, mm -hmm. and that's just different. So. So now I'm trying to do what I need to do to not feel like post-stress. Uh, for example, all, a lot of us are going to go with Meredith in two weeks to see the Auburn A&M game. Mm -hmm. And when they first said they were going to do that, I said, sure, but I've been thinking about it. And I, I know I can't be with 50,000 people trying to walk. It's, my body's more uncomfortable now. And so I told Ken, you know, I want him to go, and he's trying to figure out a way for me to either go to a, a hotel while they're gone so I can be with them or not. And so those are the kinds of questions now mm -hmm. I'm working with. How can I uh, help? Because to tell you the truth, part of what I'm feeling is I'm retreating. I'm retreating, and so I'm glad to hear you say I need to keep writing those notes because I've been thinking, how am I going to write all these notes? But I'll keep doing some of that because you've told me. I think you'll be fine at that game if you want to go. However, if you didn't really like going to football games before, then you probably shouldn't go. They're much harder now. It's much harder now because yeah. of the – I get real um, scared. Mm -hmm. It's 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 all, and, and it's – physical it's not uh, you know so anyway so decisions so if uh, someone has gets Parkinson's disease or any disease the obstacle how, how you get how you manage it and and your reaction to it is the way yeah that's the way that your reaction to it is that's all. That's what you should be thinking about. The uh, I'm trying to summarize what you said about this book and, and what what advice you would give to somebody that has a a loss or a disease or something that's grim. What am I trying to say, Paula? You're trying to say there's a way, and you build it on the thing that's the obstacle. And the obstacle is the way, it, it's a, and it's the miracle. It's a miracle. God will show you. He will show, he showed me. I mean, I came here thinking, okay, I believe, of course, I believe anything Aaron would say. But I just had to laugh afterwards because it's, it's really this obstacle is the way. It's pointing. And he gives all other kind of examples of what's, what's the way, because being human, we kind of think, oh, gosh, I didn't see this coming. 
but uh, and and I'm I'm happier just with smaller um, answers now. See, I'm not I'm calling it the way, but it's one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And when you wake up in the morning, you have. Do you drink coffee? No, the caffeine uh, does something to Parkinson's. They always even ask me, do you eat chocolate too? And I go, well, yes. <laughs> Not so. But I wake up early and I just start walking downstairs, kind of just back and forth. And, uh, and what I've done another thing that's really been positive. I didn't. I wasn't paying attention that some of my pills have to be without food and some need to go with food. And I've gotten more picky about that and I feel better. I feel better. So, I, you know, I've just kind of been sloppy about that. What do you that. do for leisure, like your hobbies, besides harp and reading and reading the Bible, I assume? Yeah, yes, I do. Uh, I, I'm wondering about that because I used to love to write in journals and I have 10 I think and I would have started one this year but I it's harder to write um, and uh, and I'm gonna and today I, I've this just this week I've been trying to sit down at the piano or the harp mm-hmm. and see if I can play something because that's just been really I guess just frustrating I don't I don't know where to since I can't do the other way how do I come up with an, another way and but I've got friends I can call and say you know would you spend some time showing me what could I do but um, when I, when my back started hurting I have gotten to where you know, I lie down and I take a nap and stuff, and I don't want to do too much of that. But but I these last six months have been uh, different. Yeah. But I'm trying to walk. The um, Jopi Drew, the guy that you know, I had that album. Yeah. Uh, produced, oh, I love him. Produced that album. <laughs> He cut his hand on a, he was really, he went to high school with me and he was always a good guitar player. He cut his hand on a table saw because he worked at a cabinet mill in Canton and really kind of deformed his hand. But he had to relearn kind of how to play guitar. That's what I need is a different way. You just need a different way. And just like everybody else, I fantasize about, you know, let's finish finishing a work, songs that I've written maybe, you know, and. You just got to sit down and do them. You got to sit down and play every day or every other day, three times a week like you do CrossFit. Yes, and see, and I've quit doing that. And so, but but I love to think about CrossFit as my first thing in the morning. But I I think I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to come at 9 o'clock or something because um, I am watching my driving. Mm-hmm. and uh, It's dark. It's dark, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm feeling a little less secure, and so I'm paying attention to that. If I could, uh, and I may need to do it at nine instead of six, but but anyway, but I want you to know I'm aware of that. 
It's well, not. if you come to nine o'clock class, you're gonna be a rock star in that class. <laughs> I've got some characters in there. I love them to death. Uh, but okay. you're gonna you're gonna really be at the top of the leaderboard. <laughs> and uh, you got Kim Boswell, basically oh. the the Matt, the leader of the class. She is. She's Best. such a leader. Best, oh, and Bess. Bess Suarez is always the assistant coach. She will explain. The, after I explain the moves, she'll explain them further for you. <laughs> and uh, she, she thinks she's assistant coach. She's a good assistant coach. She's a good. <laughs> and, I love you know, it. We, uh, Melissa, Rita, you got Karen now, and Judy. Oh, good. Uh, it's a good class. Mostly women, you know. Um, That's good. Well, and I yeah. love the young men yeah. that, that are like Aaron yeah. and Adam. It's that that yeah. was a really uh, that was a thrilling time for me because I wasn't ready to let my sons go, mm-hmm. and it was kind of John and I mean uh, Adam Piper and uh, Bug Bug and all of them have been yeah. very kind. Well, we're here. We're we, we're you're on our team, so. Oh, thank you. You know that. Well, thank you so much. Do you have any more questions? Let me see what else. I know we've been here a long time. I'm all sweaty over here. You have an Airstream trailer. You and Ken do take your Airstream trailer out. You're Bambi. Yeah. Ken is so excited, and I'm so not excited. <laughs> but, but I can go, and the bed is very comfortable. What's it about women that don't like RVs? Um. I think it's because for me, I can't really walk around in it very mm-hmm. far. Uh, but and, that, and that's not bad, but it's just sort of like, you know, like if I wake up at 2 and want to read, yeah. you know, I go and I sit on the toilet in there, and he got so mad. He said, you know, they did not build this toilet for you to sit, sit. here in your clothes <laughs> and read your book, you know. So, because your home probably is your nest. Yes. And that, and that Airstream is not your nest. No, but it's cute and it's fun. And, and I'm, a, I'm so glad I told Ken yes because I'd said no for so long. And I just thought, you know, you want this. <laughs> let's, let's get it. <laughs> so you, that's something you've taught me. I, I really <laughs> appreciate that. Whenever I tell Ashley you know about i want a, a car because i love cars you know and airstream you know rvs and stuff and you start to think uh, how many more cars are you going to have in your lifetime well you probably you know? need another one well i think <laughs> i do how many more cars are you going to have i mean 10 yeah. 5 8 so you might as well get what you want i'm Oh, my brother, I'm right with you. <laughs> Mine would be another musical instrument. You know, yeah. I would buy another harp or another harpsichord or something. And, and it's like, well, I want another one. But this has been so much fun. Thank, thank you. you so thank much. you so much for being on. I know it was long. Uh, I've learned some things, and hopefully someone listening to this will, will get something from it. I know they will. And maybe write a note to somebody and then it will touch them like you have us. Oh, do you have time for one more story? This happened to, uh, this was really what happened at SMU. I was so grateful for the job of being at a, at a campus. And I, and I did something I'd never done before for those six years. 
and it's the best thing I ever did. But I wrote each, I asked each student the week before Thanksgiving to give me the name and address of someone who had made them the person that they are. And then I wrote to that person a typed letter, a personal letter about how fabulous their student was, whether it was a grandson or a granddaughter or a niece or and for five years, everybody gave me an address, and I would mail it. And of anything that I ever did as a teacher, it was absolutely the most important thing I heard from almost all of those adults who said, I have never received a personal letter about my son's potential. He, he really... Uh, his heart. He had such a hard time. She had never received a letter from a teacher about her son's potential. I'm so glad I said that, and it was all true. And they, uh, and they, and they all wanted to talk about. Oh, we read it at Thanksgiving table. La 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 la. And I'm so glad. I don't know where I got that idea, but it was just, just came rude. to you. It came to me. Every single student family got one until the sixth year, and there were two students, and I think they did not like me, and I don't know why, but, and it was okay, it w because it was bound to happen at some point. But I, if I ran into some of those st students, I saved what they wrote back to me. Mm -hmm. I got one from Austin Elam, uh, and he said um, his grandfather, the one I wrote to, and his uh, and he said he closed his little email to me saying, um, "My grandfather always told me to thank that lady for writing that letter about me." And <laughs> he I said thought, that every time. He said yeah. that every time. So anyway, so that's a brilliant thing too is to to just write thank you notes. I mean, why I had why had I not done that? Before, I mean, they all read them at the Thanksgiving table. Your teacher says you are, you're good at, you know, doing this and la 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 la. la so you brought the family closer, and then the yeah, kids. Yeah, they just they, couldn't believe it. They could not believe it. And it was one more thing that they probably could talk with their folks about. Yeah. And uh, that's hard sometimes, just talking to your mom and dad. You know. Yeah. Well, this has been so much fun, but you know what? I'm going to go home and lie down. Thank you. You're <laughs> a trooper. It. It's it. hot in here, so no, I'm thank good. you, Paula. Can I Thank take you guys this for off? listening. All right, bye-bye. Yes, bye-bye.